grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is fitting to have an opportunity this week to come to church to pray. For when you come to church, you not only listen to God's word and receive his gifts, but you also pray. You pray to our ascended Lord throughout the liturgy in many of the hymns that we sing and of course, in the many prayers. This reason alone ought to motivate us Christians to gather in God's house whenever there is a divine service offered. And as important as prayer is, the divine service offers much more. For our ascended God graciously speaks to us. He comes to us in his presence through the word and through the sacraments. He absolves us of our many sins, and he graciously gives us of his body and blood for us Christians to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins. We need these things. They aren't just some sort of nice extra for the Christian, but we dearly need these gifts of God and his grace. We can see from recent events how sinful mankind is, which also speaks to how sinful we ourselves are, for we have inherited the same sinful flesh as as Adam, and so we are no different to the next person. Not only that, but we can see from the many world events and all the tragedies that have been happening, they give testimony to how mortal we really are. It's so tempting to think that we can somehow solve all of the world's problems by using our great might. We love to focus on how strong we are. And so the economy tanks from shutdowns due to the pandemic. We come up with a grand solution. Let's spend $4 trillion. Or a war breaks up and war breaks out in Europe. Many want us to send in our best military might to quickly end this atrocious war there as if we can somehow swiftly and cleanly settle it all without any harm to any people. Mass shootings, the solution offered by many is to create new laws to regulate the masses. But what about those existing laws against crime, against drugs, against sex trafficking, against the underage use of tobacco and alcohol and pornography. And yet, those who want these things readily and freely get them as much as they desire and as much as their flesh sinfully wants to engage in. We love greatness. We love strength. That's why so many are captivated by those superheroes in comic books and movies and why the ancients were so caught up with mythology. That's why Putin thought that he could swiftly invade and conquer Ukraine. That's why lost and directionless young men think that they can show up with a cache of weapons and shoot away at people. Focusing on our greatness as a country is really the wrong place to start. Recall the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary when she visited Elizabeth and when she had learned that they will both be giving birth. Mary to give birth to Jesus and Elizabeth 
will give birth to John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. Mary said in her Magnificat, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. What Mary rightly said there, as she was inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, is that God does bring down the mighty, the proud, and even the rich. Their might is nothing compared to God's. After all, God is the creator of all things, and might can only come from the creator himself. God is so great that he set the heavens. As is written in the book of Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the constellations in their season? Or can you bear, guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? What God was asking Job there is, do you have the ability to place the stars into the sky? The answer, of course, is no man has that ability, but God himself has done it. Or consider the great beasts of the earth. God reflects on the Leviathan, a great sea creature. And God asks Job, can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he, that is the Leviathan, speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him, the Leviathan, as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. So there... God talks about how no mankind would go near or touch this great sea creature, the Leviathan. It will not be tamed by mankind. It is too powerful for man. But who made it? God did. And God is greater than his creation. And so God adds, Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of the Leviathan. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir it up. Then who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, declares the Lord. God is the creator of all things. Man ruined God's perfect creation when Adam and Eve sinned, eating that forbidden fruit. God, though, created a way to fix that which man has wrecked. And so we turn to our creator and redeemer and sanctifier, our Lord, our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We look to God as the source of all help and comfort, for he alone can get us through this ever so messed up world. We heard in our gospel that Jesus truly accomplished that which he was sent to do by his Father, 
for us and for our salvation. He fulfilled everything that was written in the law of Moses and of the prophets and the Psalms. He got to the heart of what he must do when he spoke to his disciples before his ascension. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus did not come as some strong-armed individual to strong-arm mankind to be his subjects. God in, in the did not come in the flesh to destroy the thrones of all the kings of the earth so that he can take up his own throne in some earthly palace and rule the world by force. Jesus, when they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know what the Father has decreed. And Jesus answered the question by ascending into heaven. For he will be seated at the right hand of the Father, and it is there above that he will rule. While Jesus is God and his greatness is beyond our comprehension, Jesus came for better reasons. He didn't come just to display some sort of might or power, but the better reason is he came to reconcile us to our Father in heaven, to take our sin away to fulfill his Father's will, to declare sinners righteous, to love us, and to lay down his life for us. The resurrection of our Lord proves that Jesus truly took away the sin of the world. And the ascension of our Lord proves that Jesus really did do everything that the Father had commanded of Jesus to do, and that Jesus truly fulfilled all that the scriptures had said of him. Jesus then declared repentance and forgiveness must now be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. What Jesus earned for all must be applied to all. And so when sinners hear the law, which is a good law, the law of God, the Holy Spirit is at work driving sinners to repentance taking them off their self-security, their pedestal, and their own feelings of might, and causing them to rely on the one who is truly mighty, our Lord Christ. They then hear the forgiveness of sins as it is proclaimed through the gospel. Jesus ascended to heaven so that no people group can lay claim to the gospel to the exclusion of other people. The gospel is to be proclaimed to all nations, even to those who have done much wickedness. Therefore, Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid for the sins of Putin, the recent mass murderers, and those who have failed our young through the lack of parental guidance, the selfish ideals that are often taught in schools, the failed justice system, the lack of mental health providers, and the failure to bring these good things to those who desperately need them. Many people think that we can effectively fix our problems by enacting more laws, which are usually band-aids to the real problem. Many think that they can solve the problems of society that our society faces simply by engaging in endless talking. Many think that exercising greatness and strength will be the way to cure all ills. But God provides another way, 
and it is a way that is far humbler. It is found first in Christ, who humbly accepted the burden of the world's sin and paid for it all when he went to the cross and shed his innocent blood on behalf of all people. Jesus did not in self-righteous indignation point his fingers to all those who have done wrong. Instead, he bore the sins of the world in his body, making that required ransom payment for their sin. The way of Christ is that of faith in our Savior, who loves the world and gave himself up for all people. So how then can our so how then can all these wrongs that we see in our society be corrected? How can we turn away from the course that we are now on? First and foremost, as God's people, we must be in God's word. We ourselves, including those of us faithful who bothered to gather on a Thursday night for an ascension service. We cannot just point the fingers at everyone else who is not here and say that they are the reason why everything is wrong in this world. That way, by us being in the word, we can confess the truth to others, and we can also discern between God's truth and the world's lies, whichever looks so pious. And then we can know what pleases God and, and distinguish that from that which is evil. And then we can also extol the good. Second, we pray. As we are in God's word, we learn to pray. As I said this past Sunday, for Luther, prayer did not come about so much by reading the world, but it came about primarily by reading the word of God. The more that we are in the word, the more we pray. Third, we learn to be faithful to that word. Look at how much better our world would be if people would abide by this word of Christ. It is not intended to simply stifle and ruin all the fun of the world. The word instead liberates us, and it is good. Look at how much better our world would be if we did not have any access to porn or to murdering our babies or to mind-numbing violent video games. Look at how much better our world would be if we extolled marriage and insisted that couples keep their wedding vows, working through whatever troubles they have so that they can provide for their children in unity together, and that we would also be able to provide for them when they struggle. Look at how much better the world would be for those children that are caught up in such endless entanglements of relationship after relationship. If they could just simply have what God intended, the gift of holy matrimony between a man and a woman. Most mass murderers do not have both parents in the home. They do often do not have good fatherly mentors, and they usually do not have a healthy set of upright friends. We are so enamored with strength that we give all of our attention to the jocks in school and neglect those who are weaker. And then we wonder why they get so messed up. 
They look for mentors and they find them online where countless predators are seeking to devour them. Children are given smartphones which ha often have no parental controls on them, opening children, our little ones, up to a very dark and sordid world. And at the same time, children spend very little time in church. There's no excuse for them to miss Sunday services or the various educational offerings of our congregation. For there's nothing more important than for them, our little ones, to be in this saving word, for it to be taught to them, and for it to continue to be taught to us. Jesus said, repentance and forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed. Look at how much stronger homes and communities would be if we honored God by abiding in his time-tested divine word. Until we return to the Lord, the creator of all things, and the one who has carried out our salvation, our country will continue to be grasping at straws. We may come up with a few worldly solutions that will last for a time, but we will remain a ticking time bomb for producing more mass murderers, drug addicts, pornographers, sex traffickers, and you can just keep on going with that list. Now is the time to return to the Lord. Not, he has not only the power to make all things new, but he has already proclaimed his victory. For Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. When he ascended into heaven, he does, did not leave us alone, but he remains present among us. He has promised, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he has promised, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. As Psalm 110 declares, he, his enemies have become his footstool. For Christ is the victor and he has triumphed. We long to be with Jesus. His ascension means that the world, that the world as we know it is nothing but a temporary home for us. We will leave the possessions behind that we treasure so dearly when we breathe our last and join our Lord in paradise. Therefore, our eyes are not fixed on what we possess, but instead they are fixed heavenward toward our Savior Jesus and the spiritual blessings granted by his grace. Being with the Lord is our fatherland, our heritage, and our eternal home. And so our hope abides in Christ, who lives and reigns to all eternity, who is not only our Lord, but he is our Savior, our Good Shepherd, our forever friend. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.